0: Welcome to the Switchboard podcast. Switchboard is a one-stop resource hub for refugee service providers in the United States. With the support of the Office of Refugee Resettlement, we offer resources, learning opportunities, research, and technical assistance on resettlement-related topics. My name is Margaret Gibbon, and I'm Switchboard's Program Officer for Learning and Knowledge Management. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Miriam Potosky and Kristen Gaskovit to talk about motivational interviewing, an evidence-based intervention that can be used in refugee case management programs. Miriam is a professor of social work at Florida International University and an internationally recognized expert on refugee resettlement. She is the author of Best Practices for Social Work with Refugees and Immigrants, a book whose second edition will come out this fall. Kristen is a licensed clinical social worker with over 15 years experience working in refugee trauma, both domestically and internationally. She is the founder of Heart of Aid Work, where Heart stands for Humanitarian Empathy and Refugee Trauma, and that is a program that combines capacity building with staff well-being. Kristen and Miriam, thank you so much for joining me.
1: Thank you for having us. Thank you very much.
0: So let's start with the basics. Miriam, could you tell me a little bit about what we mean when we say motivational interviewing?
1: Sure. Motivational interviewing, or MI as it's commonly referred to, was developed in the 1980s as a counseling method, originally for clients with addictions, but it has since been expanded to many, many areas, including health, mental health, and social work. MI is a client centered, directive method for enhancing intrinsic motivation to change by exploring and resolving clients' ambivalence. It is a way to help people feel both heard and to make decisions. And empathy is a key tool in MI. So I always
2: sort of hear that introduction, and I think it's a lot of information in a few short phrases. Client-centered, directive method for enhancing intrinsic motivation for change, using empathy, resolving ambivalence. There's, there's a lot of information in that that little bit of text, and so I want to sort of take a moment to unpack this and really understand what it means. Uh, when we say client-centered, within motivational interviewing, this approach really uses the client's experience and expertise which is a shift because for our refugee clients, they, they tend to look at us as some sort of experts. But of course, we know that they really are the experts of their own lives. They know their strengths. They know their challenges. They know what they're capable of better than we ever can. It places the responsibility for change with the client, and it recognizes that they're the ones that need to decide that a change needs to occur. It also makes them the leaders in the discussion. So our role really is listening and showing that we're listening. When we talk about it being a directive method for enhancing motivation for change, we're talking about it using specific active listening techniques to help a client to hear their own reasons for change reflected back to them. And when we talk about ambivalence we're really talking about that idea of being where the client's at right our social workers in the audience know that that's supposed to be our starting point where is the client um, and ambivalence means the client isn't sure where they are do they want to go left or right forward or back it's a little bit unclear this is one of the main components of what we're helping somebody to look at and we're doing that by making sure that we're not arguing or advocating for any one direction, because we may then end up in a a circumstance where they're arguing against what we're suggesting. Instead, we're helping them to hear what they're wanting to do themselves so that we can help move them forward. Um, And of course, it's helping people feel heard. I mean, why do we talk except for, for people to hear us? There's not always a solution to give. Really, the best solution sometimes is to be listened to. And we all know that from our own lives. Of course, it's also empathetic. And empathy is a key to creating a therapeutic relationship. And although case managers aren't therapists, they are in a therapeutic relationship. We're putting aside our own feelings about the situation and we're looking at it from their side. It's a lot more difficult than it sounds and it is incredibly necessary for this work.
0: Absolutely. Thanks, Kristen, for clarifying those different elements. Next, can you both tell me a little bit more about what this looks like in practice?
1: Yes, MI is built on four principles. They are, one, expressing empathy, which means seeing the world through the client's eyes. When clients feel they're understood, they're more able to open up to their own experiences and share them with others. They become more open to gentle challenges by you, the worker. And they become more comfortable examining ambivalence about change. So in essence, empathy facilitates change. The second principle of MI is developing discrepancy. And the idea is that change occurs when people perceive a discrepancy or gap between where they are and where they want to be. So MI helps clients see how these current behaviors help them attain their goals or hinder them from attaining their goals. The third very important principle of MI is rolling with resistance, which means go where the client is going. Don't argue with the client. Don't challenge resistance. Encourage clients to develop their own solutions. And the final principle is supporting self-efficacy, which is the belief that change is possible. So in MI, we can provide clients with hope by showing there's no right way to change. It's simply a matter of trying one plan. And if that doesn't work, we'll try others. So we're limited only by our own creativity. So we want to help the client develop their own self-confidence in their own ability to make a change such as we can ask about changes they have made in their lives and highlight the skills that they already have to build upon.
2: So if we look at some of these skills a little bit more um, we can really focus on one of the key components which is active listening and within MI the acronym of ORS O-A-R-S is often used. And I love this as a metaphor, because if you imagine yourself in a boat in the middle of a lake somewhere and you've dropped your oars, you don't have them anymore. What happens? Nothing. You might be stuck in one spot or you're at the mercy of the tides. If you're in a conversation and you don't have your active listening oars, it's the same thing. You don't have the opportunity to move the conversation towards a resolution. The good news is that you're probably already using a lot of these skills to some degree. So let's look at each of them. ORS stands for open questions, affirmations, reflections, and summaries. Open questions, of course, can be evocative of change. You can say something along the lines of, you mentioned you can't get a job and you would like to see that change. If you were to make a change to help yourself in your job search, how would you go about doing that? Or you could use a scaling question, such as on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being not at all motivated and 10 being absolutely I'm going to change things today motivated, how important is it to you to make that change? Now, what's important when you're using scaling questions in motivational interviewing is how you follow up the question. So if you're saying on a scale of 1 to 10 and somebody says, I would give that a 5. Your response needs to be, okay, a five, that's pretty good. You know, what would make that a five instead of, say, a four? Well, I mean, it's a five because I've already been working at it. I've already been applying for jobs. I've already been trying, right? Um, When we talk about affirmations, we're really talking about compliments, but these are specific to a person's strength because it's a way of supporting self-efficacy. So we might say something like, you're really good at advocating for yourself. If it's genuine and it points back to somebody's strength and something you've just seen from them or you know from your work with them, then that's the way to go with an affirmation. Within reflections, um, you know, Carl Rogers once said, reflections are more than repetition, they're a revelation. So this is really the opportunity to help someone see the barriers in their way from the perspective that they see it and hear what they've been talking about, about how to get over it. So you can say something like, you know, you haven't heard back from that job yet and you're worried that you didn't get it because your English isn't strong enough. But you've been working to improve your English and you've even taken steps to enroll in classes to help yourself move forward towards a good job. Um, That would be a way to help somebody hear back what they've already been doing and what the steps are to go in. And another even simpler example that just happened for me the other day, um, somebody was really highly... um, anxious because of something that had triggered them and was saying, you know, I just don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I need to do something tonight. I don't know what to do. Maybe I'll go home and have dinner. That would be nice, but I don't know what to do. And so I just responded back by saying, it sounds like you really need to have something that's distressing tonight. And you're thinking maybe having dinner would be a good way to just relax. And she said, yeah, that's a great idea. That's exactly what I'll do. And of course it was her idea, but when we're, when we're in that state, sometimes we don't hear ourselves. And then, of course, summaries. The difference between reflections and summaries is reflections are a portion of the conversation, and summaries are the whole conversation. Um, one metaphor that's often used is picking flowers and giving back a bouquet. So you're hearing the whole conversation, you're picking bits of it, and then you're giving back the bouquet of what you've heard. So something along the lines of, so you're focused on getting a job and improving your English, and you want to use your advocacy skills to follow up on that job you've applied for. I think that sounds like a really strong plan. Let's practice how you might follow up with them.
0: Great. I I appreciate that introduction to the different concepts that make up motivational interviewing. And I know that you came prepared with some examples to actually bring those concepts to life. Would you be able to lead us through those examples now? Sure. What we're going
1: to do is a couple role plays for you. I will enact the client and Kristen will be enacting the case manager. In the first role play, we will not use MI. In the second role play, we will use MI. And uh, following each role play, we will sort of unpack it and identify the features and point out the differences between the two approaches. So let's go ahead with the first one where we are not using MI. So how did it go opening
2: your new checking account at the bank last week?
1: Well, I didn't get around to it.
2: But we agreed last week that you would do it. It's really important for you to follow through on these things that we agree on.
1: I know, but every time I go out to try to get something done, no one ever understands me because of my accent. They start raising their voices as if I can't hear. They're so rude. It makes me so upset that I did not want to deal with that again. You can't
2: let other people get to you. You can't control them, but you can control your own emotional reactions
1: to them. I guess. I just don't understand why you can't come with me to help.
2: You need to start doing things on your own to become independent and self-sufficient. Yes, but... Look... You don't need me. Just do it. You'll see. It won't be as bad as you think.
1: Okay, if you say so. Okay, so that's our first role play. Let me just point out a few um, pieces of this. Um, The main thing I think I want to point out is that the worker here is well-intentioned. It's not that they're Intentionally being difficult. The worker is trying to help, but they could do it better. And so, one of the first things the worker says to the client is, It's important for you to follow through on agreement. That entails a little bit of judgment, like, What's wrong with you? And it involves some lecturing. That's the kind of thing a parent would say to a child, right? Or a teacher to a student. Um, and that's not what we do in MI. Next, the worker gives some advice to the client. You can't let other people get to you. You can't control them, but you can control your emotional reactions to them. Absolutely true. But the client didn't ask for advice at that point. So that's unsolicited advice. We avoid that in MI. The worker then tells the client to start doing things on their own. They're basically ordering the client. You need to. Let's not ever start a sentence with you need to. I'm sure if you've ever been on the receiving end of that sentence, that's the point where you shut down. In this uh, example, the worker is also attempting to persuade the client with logic. And people are not generally persuaded by others' logic, only their own. And... Finally, in this example, the worker finally seemed to kind of lose patience, interrupted the client, argued with them, and and made a false promise saying, it's all going to be okay. It won't be as bad as you think. Um, We don't know that. We don't know what's going to happen. And refugee clients very well know that none of us knows what's going to happen. So we avoid any promises in MI, but we do build on the client's rights now we're going to do the role play with MI and we'll look at the differences.
2: So how did it go opening your new checking account at the bank last week?
1: Well, I didn't get around to it. I see. Can you tell me what happened? Every time I go out to try to get something done, no one ever understands me because of my accent. They start raising their voices as if I can't hear. They're so rude. It makes me so upset that I did not want to deal with that again. I don't understand why you can't come with me to help.
2: It's really frustrating and maybe a bit frightening even to go alone when you feel like you won't be understood.
1: Exactly. That's why I need you along.
2: Well, that's an option, but remember, like we've talked about, we only have a few months left together. How do you see your situation at the end of this when our time comes to an end? How do you see things continuing for yourself if we keep going like this?
1: By then, my English will be better, and you will have made all these arrangements for me, so I will be able to do things from my own from then on.
2: So ultimately, you would like to be able to be independent and take care of things on your own. How important would you say it is to you on a scale of 0 to 10, with 0 being not at all important and 10 being extremely important, to be able to be independent?
1: Why are you bothering me with such a silly question when we could be going to the bank to take care of business?
2: Sounds like you're really used to taking charge.
1: Yes, in my country, I had my own business with 25 employees. Nobody told me what to do.
2: And you're right, and I'm not here to tell you what to do either. Actually, in fact, I kind of need your help with this because I'm I'm confused. I mean, on one hand, your instinct is to take charge, and on the other hand, you'd prefer that I handle this right now. To me, it sounds really stressful to have to hold yourself back as you are. But like you said, it's also stressful doing things on your own right now. So I'm not really sure what the best solution is here.
1: You know what? Let me just try going to the bank now.
2: Before you go, would you be willing to hear about some techniques that you could use to decrease your stress level if you get frustrated there?
1: Yes, that would be very helpful.
2: So, of course, this scenario is different from the first um, because we used motivational interviewing and you probably heard a lot more about that client in this one. We got to know her a lot better and what her strengths were. But if we just break it down a little bit, of course, We used the, okay, can you tell me what happened as an open question? But more importantly, in the beginning of the conversation, we did that rolling with resistance that Miriam introduced a while ago. So you didn't get around to it. Tell me more about that, right? We don't want to get into a back and forth. We want them to be able to think through what's working or not working. We also used rolling with resistance a little while later when we talked about, you know, it it feels really frightening when you feel like you might not be able to make yourself understood. Right. Really pointing out that if you go alone, you're going to be a little bit um, reluctant because it's going to be hard. And letting that conversation go where it does, because, of course, that put her right back into the space of exactly I need you to go with me and saying instead, yeah, you want me to go with you. And I get that. And that's what we have been doing. But we're not always going to be able to do that. And I, I want to see how you see this going after that. We, of course, talked about the change ruler. When I say change ruler, what I mean is um, a scaling question, 0 to 10 or 1 to 10. What I like about them is they're very concrete. So when you're uh, lost in a conversation and you use something like this, somebody can think about it in a little bit different way. Am I a 5? Am I a 6? Am I a 4? And that same level of concreteness often gets you this same sort of response that we had in this scenario, which is, why are you bothering me with such a silly question? Right. And what was great about that is, again, that's an opportunity where we need to remember rolling with resistance. That would have been an easy space for somebody to go into and say, well, actually, this question could be really helpful because blah, 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 blah. Nope. (laughs) If they don't see the the use of it at that moment, we're going to keep going because they're leading the conversation. And then finally, we started talking about developing discrepancies in the the end of the scenario, wherein we pointed out to uh, Miriam's character that, of course, she's used to taking charge and that's her instinct. And at the same time, she's afraid to take charge right now. So let's look at that right? What's the balance there? I, I always think of developing discrepancy and oftentimes you'll see it in uh, MI books as the balance that you see in a, on a lawyer's office, right? And so it is the on one hand, on the other hand. Um, and you're looking at like, what, where's the weight? Is the weight in your ability to take charge or is the, is the weight in your desire right now to leave it to everybody else? Where's the weight uh, on the balance? And then finally, when when you're thinking about how to help, you know, it is, of course, always permissible to offer to share information like, you know, stress management techniques for when you're going to be in a situation where you might be frustrated. So you can give yourself an extra few minutes instead of giving up. Um, But we want to make sure we offer that. We don't want to assume somebody wants it because they might not. And am I? We don't assume any of that. We always offer.
0: Both of those examples were really helpful. I feel like I have a good sense of what the approach looks like through that client interaction. Next, I want to ask, what research is there behind this approach? What evidence do we have to suggest that MI is effective?
1: Well, as I mentioned, MI uh, was initiated in the nineteen. 19- 80s, so it has now been applied and studied for over 30 years. There have been over 200 clinical trials demonstrating its efficacy and over 1,200 published studies in a variety of areas. More specifically for our clients, MI is being taught in over 43 languages around the world, which suggests that it has a cross-cultural uh, relevance. Uh, We don't yet know the ultimate impact on refugee client outcomes because we are the only ones that have systematically um, researched and applied MI with um, refugees, although I know many of you out there are using it. It's just that the research hasn't yet been done on effectiveness with this specific population, but we have good reason to believe it would be uh, a positive impact. And let me just mention a few of these rationales why we think MI is a great fit for refugee clients. Uh, first of all, like other clients uh, for whom MI is targeted, refugees may be perceived as reluctant or ambivalent. It's important to point out this is not a function of any deficit on the part of refugees, but rather is reflective of their cultural context. The idea of seeking professional help for personal problems is a foreign concept in most cultures whose members are naturally inclined to seek informal help from family, friends, religious leaders, or indigenous healers. Furthermore, refugees would not be in the position of needing professional help if they had not been forced out of their countries and into a new, often bewildering, and overwhelming environment. So MI approaches such ambivalence as normal and expected. Secondly, with refugee clients, there's also often an incongruence between the practitioner's goals and the client's goals and perspectives. For example, I think we saw this in our first role play where the case manager seemed more interested in achieving their own agenda of getting the client to become independent and empowered and self-sufficient rather than listening to the client's concerns at that moment despite their good intentions. Thirdly, motivational interviewing focuses on developing a working alliance between the practitioner and the client. This is also referred to as the therapeutic alliance, and it refers to three components, agreement on goals, agreement on tasks, and the development of a personal bond between the worker and the client. And a lot of studies have demonstrated that the quality of the working alliance is associated with positive therapeutic outcomes. Furthermore, a big study of 72 MI studies found effect sizes almost twice as large among minority populations compared to non-minority populations. So I think this is very important. And the authors of that particular study said that MI may be particularly attractive to groups who have experienced social rejection and societal pressure. So all in all, the data from these studies suggest substantial potential for the application of this practice approach with refugee populations.
0: Great. Thank you, Miriam. Let me close with one more question. Where can our listeners go if they want to learn more about motivational interviewing?
1: I would suggest a couple resources. The first is the book written by the developers of MI, which are um, Bill Miller and Steve Rolnick. And their book is called Motivational Interviewing, Helping People Change. It is now in its third edition. I really like this book because it's chock full of examples and it's very reader friendly. It's not like an academic textbook at all. Very approachable. And secondly, um, there's a video on YouTube called Introduction to Motivational Interviewing by a clinician named Bill Matulich. It's about 15 minutes long. It's just a great, again, user-friendly intro. So those are definitely the two places I would start.
0: All right. Well, that brings us to the end of our podcast. Thank you so much again, Miriam and Kristen, for joining us. And of course, thank you to listeners for tuning in. You can visit Switchboard online at www.switchboardta.org, where you'll find an extensive resource library, a form to request technical assistance if you're interested in connecting with us about this topic or other topics related to your work, ways to stay in touch, and much more. If you haven't done so already, I would encourage you to sign up for our listserv so that you can receive our newsletter and stay up to date with Switchboard. Miriam and Kristen, thank you so much again. Thank you, man. Thank you.